Are you passionate about creating a physical product, something you can touch, feel, or taste, and then get paid for it by those that love what you've created? Well, the Product Launch Rebel Podcast is the one for you, where you get insider tips on how to spot an opportunity, manufacture your product, get financing, and achieve the independence you've always dreamed about. It's time to crank it up with your host, product developer, investor, and founder of VentureSuperfly.com, John Benzik. Greetings, Product Launch Rebels, and welcome to the Product Launch Rebel podcast. I'm your host, John Benzik, the founder of VentureSuperfly.com, the website that helps you double your entrepreneurial courage, even if you're in a sea of self-doubt. Today, my friends, you're in for a real treat, and for something a bit different, I'll be interviewing a guest that can teach us a lot about going beyond what others think is possible and about conquering fear despite having uncertainty and self-doubt, and I mean facing real serious risk along the entrepreneurial journey. My guest is Levi Lavalley. He's a professional action and motorsports athlete among the elite top tier of his colleagues, including Travis Pastrana, Tony Hawk, Laird Hamilton, and Danny Way. Levi has, over time, become a unique entrepreneur in his own right, evolving to becoming his own product and brand, if you will, by succeeding in his field as a professional snowmobiler. Not just any snowmobiler, but rather one that has transcended his niche and has more broadly become associated with the fields of entertainment, action sports, and sports in general. He started riding at the age of eight. And while his promising racing career evolved, he became a freestyle snowmobiler, ending up with 10 X Games medals over the course of his career, seven of them being gold. He's won a snowcross championship title. He was the first to attempt a double back flip on a snowmobile and holds the current world record for the longest snowmobile distance jump of 412 feet, which was live on ESPN during the Red Bull New Year No Limits event. And now, as a prominent Red Bull-sponsored athlete, he's the team owner of Team LaValle Snowmobile Team. It's a fascinating interview full of key insights, strategies, and wisdom on how to get focused, get committed, work hard, and overcome your fears. So let's just pick up the interview from the beginning. Here we go. So Levi, where did you grow up? Are you originally from Minnesota? Yeah, I am from Minnesota. I actually, I grew up in Longville, Minnesota, which is where I still live today. Uh, over the years, I've been able to to live in some different locations. I lived in central Wisconsin for uh, a handful of years while I was uh, racing for the factory Polaris team. Uh, their race shop is based out of there. So I would go out, I would move out there and stay there for like six to probably eight months a, a year and um, train and ride and practice out there. And then I spent a, a couple of years moving out to California. I moved to Victorville, California for uh, two, well, it would have been two falls um, training out there. I was training with a MMA fighter and, and whatnot, just trying to prepare for season and and you know, in those those 
times that I moved to California and, and um, central Wisconsin, you know, California was obviously significantly busier than where I live. Longville is a town of 156 people. And, you know, so when I went to California, I was a little bit overwhelmed by how uh, how busy it was, how many, you know, just how much action there was. There was just stuff going on everywhere. So so that was a, a little bit of a different uh, different thing for me. But I learned a lot while I was out there. I learned a lot living in uh, central Wisconsin in the Wausau area. And, uh, you know, these having those different experiences really – uh, it really drove it home to me that I'm a, I'm a small town guy. I enjoy I enjoy knowing uh, knowing all the people and and you know being friendly. It seems like everyone's real friendly and and whatnot. So I really enjoy the small town thing, and that's why I uh, why I've, I've kind of built out my uh, my life here in in the small town of Longville. Yeah, that's truly amazing. So you grew up. You were born there in sort of central northern Minnesota in Longville, right? Yeah, I was actually born in in um, where was I born? I was born just outside of it in Park Rapids, which is about an hour. And the reason we weren't born in Longville is because there's no hospital here. But uh, but lived in Longville my entire life, and it's you know it's a small town, but I I go back and I I'm grateful for that because you know being a professional snowmobiler and and whatnot that it, it allowed me to ride my snowmobile just about every day you know I used to ride my my snowmobile to school I'd ride it to work I worked at the grocery store in town I'd ride it to my friends you know so I was constantly riding my snowmobile and and in a small town like that you know there you you don't have as much restriction I would say you know it's it's not like driving your snowmobile through a city or something you kind of right it's kind of norm so so it ended up uh, working out really well for me so do you have siblings I do. I have uh, an older sister who's two years older than me, and I'm I'm so uh, I was so excited. They're so thankful for her because you know going up through school, we've always had a good relationship. But going through school, you know, I remember she was always like she always had to go through things first, and she would kind of brief me. You know, I remember when we went to the new school, like in seventh grade, you go to the high school, and I just remember I was. I was super nervous to go and, and, you know, you kind of, you know, the whole having different classrooms and all these different things. I was, I was scared and she just, she took me under her wing and she just like, it's not a big deal. You can put your books in my locker and you can, you know, I'll help you out with it. So, so she was always, always very helpful to me. And, and now even to this day, she still is a big supporter of what, uh, what we do and, and whatnot. Yeah, that's fantastic. So growing up in a small town and then spending some time in California, training, Wisconsin, training, but even more broadly, your success has brought you across the world, really, and you've achieved the pinnacle of, of your status in your sport and even went beyond that, you know, hanging out with the likes of other elite action sports athletes across the world. How has growing up in a small town formed you? What's amazing to me is you grew up in a small town of 150 people, sort of in in the middle of the United States, but here you are competing at an elite high level worldwide, hanging out with world-class athletes and being among them. How has growing up in a small town made you who you are today? 
growing up in a small town, I, what it, uh, what it, what I think it's done is it's really kept me honest. It's kept me um, focused on task at hand. You know, there's not a lot of distraction. So you know, like for instance, uh, my compound is, you know, it's I, I have what is there like almost 60 acres there and it's just jumps and it has all the tools we need to be successful and that's kind of what uh what i think has allowed me to to do some of the things that we've been able to do and, and to have the success we've been able to have just because it's you know you're able to fully focus on that that task at hand and do everything to move towards that and that's that's been a really you know, really awesome thing here in in a small town is you don't you don't have it's like you're not competing against everyone else. I just keep competing against myself. And one of the things I always say with our riders, you know, we have a a professional snowmobile race team, and I'm kind of like a coach slash mentor to our other riders. And what I always tell them is I say, don't worry about what the other guys do worry about you. So focus on me versus me. That's like, that's my saying me versus me. See, the only way that you can get better is if you, you beat who you were yesterday. You know, if you keep comparing to that other person, you know, what ends up happening is it, it uh, discourages you and, and kind of brings you down. You're more worried about what they're doing and you're spending energy on, on what they're doing, how they're doing it, these different things, instead of focusing on how am I going to get better? How am I going to make myself uh, you know, a more prepared person than I was yesterday. So that's kind of the the thing that's been really nice about a small town is the lack of lack of distractions. I'm able to focus. And the thing that I really love about it is just the people are they're real. You know, I've been different places uh, in the in the country and in the world where you know a lot of people are you know it's kind of I want to I don't want to say. I don't know, for lack of a better term, I would say fake, you know, that's like, they're kind of looking at like, what can you do for me? What, how can you help them? And, and, um, instead of just being genuine. So that's what I really, I really love about small town. Right. And what's so amazing to me is I grew up skiing and snowboarding here in Minneapolis. And what I've realized in my career, I used to have a snowboard and ski clothing brand that I uh, distributed world uh, nationwide, manufactured in China, had my own brand. And so I dealt with a lot of and managed some team athletes and that sort of thing. What I found interesting is that so many Midwest action sports athletes, whether that be s- snowboarding or free skiing, they tended to succeed when they moved out West to the Rockies or in Utah because they had certain qualities that that helped them along the way, such as they were easy to work with. They were Mm -hmm. honest. They, they, they had fun. And, and so they would go out West skiing or snowboarding. And if the conditions were cruddy, the locals that were raised there wouldn't go out. But, but, but us from Minnesota, right? We're skiing 300, 400 vertical drop hills they would go out in any conditions. They would work closely with the photographers. They end up in the magazines because they're easy to work with. And uh, I think there's some commonalities there as well. Absolutely. I, I kind of chuckled when you 
when you said it was less than ideal snow conditions and the locals wouldn't ride and and whatnot because I've been on uh, different film trips in the past and you know one of the first times I went to the mountains riding you know the, the to me I look at it I'm like wow there's just a ton of snow out here and all the guys were they weren't jumping they weren't really riding and I'm like looking at them like what are you guys doing this is awesome and I'm jumping everything and I'm all over the place and they're like oh man it's like it's all set up hard. It hasn't snowed in like a week or something. And, and I'm like thinking about it and I'm like, man, and back in the Midwest, if there's snow on the ground, we're riding. <laughs> you know, it exactly. So it, uh, it kind of hit home there. And, and, um, you know, that was, that was one of the things is, you know, and it, even to this day, I always, I think, um, I always tell the, the riders too, I say, you know, make sure that, you know, you never want to get soft. Like once you have things, you have things too good. Um, I mean, it's fine having the finer things in life and, and, uh, whatnot, but just don't let yourself get soft. Don't let yourself get to be where you're like, you have to have the best conditions to go ride, the best conditions to work out, the best conditions to do these things that made you. And cause once that happens, that's when that young, uh, up and coming guy is going to you know, that's willing to do whatever it takes to, to achieve his goals is going to surpass you. You know, that's such wise advice and, and, and sort of beyond your years, really. One of my favorite bands is the band called U2. And Bono often has expressed that in interviews where he says, in his view of a lot of rock and roll stars, when they make it big, they start focusing on their house or their clothing or the design of this or the design of that and they lose track and then their career starts to go downhill because their focus becomes not on the music it becomes on something else and one thing that they always talked about is they let other people deal with that and they just focus on the music over and over and over again they think that's why they've become the number one grammy award-winning artist of all time you know focusing on what got you there and uh, focusing on you know constant constantly growing uh that's that's one of the um one of the biggest things i think to success you know i think uh one of the one of my favorite sayings is uh, from jim Rohn. he said uh you know work on he's it, what was it he said work harder on yourself than on your job and um how I kind of took that is like the more you put into to growing yourself, into becoming a better person, into learning new skills, into all these different things, success will come from that. And and his line was, um, you know, you don't you don't pursue success, you attract success by becoming an attractive person. And and I kind of look at it and I I like kind of question it at first. I'm like, well, you know, you're always like in pursuit of success, but what what he what he said by that is like you know by learning new skills by teaching yourself how to become better at what you're already doing how to be more efficient how to become um you know maybe learning anything that's going to help you move closer to your goals that's like that's what he means by attracting success and it's funny because like the more i've started thinking about that the more i started you know realizing hey like you know, just being an honest, upfront, straightforward person to the people you work with, the people you deal with, eventually it, it all pays off because that little bit spreads to the next guy, to the next guy. 
and all these different opportunities start coming your way. And that's what, um, that's what I think the, uh, attracting success is, uh, holds very true to me. Are you into the self-improvement? Do you follow some of the self-improvement gurus out there? Yeah, I, I, it's funny because I, uh, I've been on this like audio book binge for, it's been over a year now and it started really, really random. Um, I met, I met this woman, uh, uh, Tiffany on, on an airplane. So we were, I was upgraded to first class. I was flying back from Seattle and I sat down and I, and this, the woman next to me was sitting there and, and, um, you know, she ordered, uh, ordered something or I ordered something to drink and she ordered the same thing. And I said, wow, you have good taste. And, uh, from that point forward, the whole flight from Seattle to Minneapolis, we talked the entire time. And I found out that we we're very similar, very organized, very like trying to, you know, figure out, you know, what, how to, how to be better at what we're doing and, and better at our business and whatnot. And so Tiffany, she owns a business called Totally Tiffany. And what it is is like scrapbooking supplies and different things, organization for scrapbooking. And um, she's an extremely busy woman and and super motivated. But we'd start talking and talking. And, and she started talking about different audio books that have helped her. And so I went home and I I started downloading audio books and and started with, you know, the compound effect. I was listening to the compound effect from Darren Hardy and, and love that. And then, you know, he referenced Jim Rohn in his book. So then I downloaded all, I downloaded a Jim Rohn book and listened to that. And from there I listened to every Jim Rohn book I could find. And then he referenced Zig Ziglar. And so I'm listening to Zig Ziglar and I download, you know, a dozen different Zig Ziglar ones. So anyway, it's been this, like this crazy binge of, of audio books. And when I, the the thing that like Zig said was uh, automobile U.S. or automobile university is what he called it, and he's like, if you listen to an audio book while you drive a car in a year, you can have like a, a what do you say like two semesters of college education, or you spend that much time in the car an average person does. So I started listening to it, and like I have about a five minute drive to five minute drive to my shop. And five minutes back, so I get about ten minutes a day minimum, um, you know, listening to it. But then I started listening to it like in the bathroom, like I got a speaker in the shower, so I'm listening to it when I'm showering. And and anytime I do like kind of mindless work is when I like listen to audiobooks. And for instance, like running running equipment when I'm building jumps or something, you have, you know, you'll be in. I've I've listened to ten hour audiobooks in one session running equipment. And, uh, you know, I'm just sponging all this stuff. So it's, it's been a really, it's been a really positive thing for me because I've learned a lot of different things that, that have, you know, I think that have kind of, I've been doing right over the years that have, have allowed me to be successful in different areas. And I'm learning a ton of things that I had no idea about that are helping me even more with leadership, with, you know, our, our team riders, you know, our employees, these different things. So it, uh, it's definitely been a, a positive listening to all the books and, and just kind of learning about that. That's amazing. Let's step back a little bit. How did you get into snowmobiling in the first place? I got into snowmobiling as a kid, you know, as funny because my dad he uh he got me a little four-wheeler when i was i wasn't quite four years old 
and he got this little 70 cc uh, four wheeler, and he got he got one of the he got a four wheeler for me and a motorcycle for him because he knew then it would only he'd only get uh, his butt chewed once by my mom, <laughs> so he he combined them. And um, she, my mom, she looked at it like, are you trying to tr- kill our, our little boy? And my dad's like, no, no, he's going to love this. So uh, before long, you know, dad had, uh, I remember he had an old hood off a car and he had propped it up on wood blocks. And that was my first jump. And I'm jumping this little, this car hood and, I, you know, bouncing out on the ground and stuff. And my dad just got a kick out of it. And I loved it. And I just remember him, his his friend Butch came over and he's like, Butch, Butch, get over here. You got to check this out. Levi, go hit that, go hit the jump again. And I'd sit and session the jump. And, and I mean, it was, I mean, it was comedy. It was funny. But, but from that, you know, that evolved into uh, snowmobiling. You know, we started snowmobiling when, when I was eight years old. And, and uh, by the time I was 12, I was racing cross country and, 15 racing or 14 racing snowcross and eventually turned uh turned pro when i was 20 uh but you know that upbringing of of power sports of riding four-wheeler of riding snowmobiles um that um you know it definitely has led me to you know to the career that that i've been in here for for so many years now and and uh, racing you know it's funny because i've raced for well over well over half my life and so it's that's what um you know it's what i know and what i do and and since then it's evolved into the race team where you know i'm helping other people uh with their race careers and and whatnot so i've i've enjoyed it a tremendous amount yeah i have a very unique question to ask you because i've studied risk takers all my life because to some extent i have always had that juice and felt I was strange among my friends to some degree. And I've even done some very informal research over the years. And I want to ask you, what do you think is that juice that motivates people like you to have that adrenaline fix? There's two parts to why I think, why I think I've, evolved into taking the risk in these different things and part of it was um you know the first part was growing up seeing um seeing my my dad like he owned a he owned the garbage business in town and um you know and it wasn't much of (laughs) much of a business it's pretty small area but you know seeing that the risk that he had to take the different things kind of firsthand that that he did involved with his business you know seeing that but then seeing how hard he worked you know the the hard work that he did it was just endless you know he would always he was always working if he had to work overnight you know it was there was like absolutely no doubt that if it was a monday tuesday wednesday or friday like his main garbage picking days there was absolutely no doubt that he would be on the road at eight o'clock whether he had to work all night long and go to work you know, straight through or whatever. He, he just made those sacrifices. So I like saw that part of it. And then the other part that I think has driven me was, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty small guy. I'm not even five and a half feet tall and growing up throughout my entire, you know, K through 12, I was always, I was the youngest kid in my class and the smallest guy in my class. And, you know, the first thing that happens when you go to school is you go to play sports you play football or something out in the playground 
And, you know, anyone in their right mind would say, well, I want the big kid. I want the, you know, I want anyone but the little one. So it kind of built in me that, um, you know, that I don't want to be the weak link. That was the first thing. But then I started realizing that, like, when I worked at things, not only could I be not the weak link, but I could I could blow people away. I could do things, um, you know, if I worked hard enough, I could do better than than the big guys. I could do better than um, anyone else, and it, it just kind of it kind of instilled this this work ethic to say, hey, you know, if you want something, go out and get it, and prove these people wrong, prove to them that you can do this, and so that kind of started that, and and from that I kind of evolved into. Um, you know, realizing like, not only can I, can I show people that I can do it, but I can woo these people. I can like, you know, I became this little entertainer throwing, doing jumps and tricks and everything else. Um, so once I got to, once I got to where things started getting scary, uh, or, you know, doing bigger jumps and whatnot, I, I started like looking at, looking back at, Hey, okay, how did I, how did I get here? I've done a lot of riding. I've done a lot of practice. I'm prepared for this. I, I know what I have to do and how to do it. Now it's just trusting and believing in yourself and believing in what you've done to do it. And that's what I think has allowed, uh, allowed us to be able to do, you know, be the first to rotate a double backflip on a snowmobile and the first to jump over 400 feet on a snowmobile or 400 feet on anything. It is like I, I believe that I'm capable of so much more and it's because of the work that I've done to get here. If you did not end up being a pro athlete or even a pro snowmobiler, what do you think you would be doing? Let's say you grew up in uh, Kansas. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it it would be hard to say what I would be doing, but I would imagine, I would imagine I would be uh, doing some sort of business, um, some sort of business because I, you know, it. I I think. I think for what, for who I am and, you know, what I'm willing to, to do to have success, you know, I think that would be the, the path that I would have, I would have gone down in any way because I would have realized, you know, one of the things that I'm constantly doing is I'm constantly looking at things going, how can that be more efficient? How can that be, you know, a better, a better system? How can that work better? And that's, that's what all the, the racing, the, the, um, freestyle, all these different things. I've always looked at it like, how can I make this better? How can I do this step better? How can I do any of that? And that's continuing on into, into our business where, you know, dealing with the team with sponsors, how can we provide a better service to the sponsor? How can we give them, uh, you know, the, the information they need to say, okay, this is why, is a good, uh, this is a good, um, investment for you. It's got a great ROI and all these different things because I'm constantly in pursuit of trying to, to make things better. And so I know that if, even if I wasn't racing, I would be, I would have found something that, uh, that I really, really loved and I would put forth just as much energy into that. You referenced your dad, at least very early on having a bit of an influence on you with his work ethic and getting you involved in motorsports, who else did you look up to when you were younger and how have they formed you? 
early on, uh, I remember Michael Jordan was a, a huge, huge one for me. I remember watching Michael Jordan videos. I used to watch this one video I had. I'd watch it like just about every night. And um, I just remember I had, I could go through that. I had a little basketball hoop like hanging on the door in my bedroom and it, and I I had it, my room was upstairs and it sounded literally like an elephant was going to fall through the ceiling down down below because I mean I would be slam dunking and running and doing all the Michael Jordan moves and and all these different things and I would go through this whole movie and I had this whole little routine of like all the things that he did in it but but seeing that that you know that it kind of went a little bit behind the scenes of how hard he worked and all these uh, different things and I don't know if that had influence on um you know me wanting to be you know an icon like michael jordan or whatever i was like i was like man i just i that, that michael jordan's amazing like whatever i could do to be like that that's what i want to be and i would just go through all these little routines of that and and you know not to say that that was uh that was the reason why i was able to continue on into snowmobiling and have some success but but, you know, having good influences like that, you know, Michael Jordan and then as I went further along, Ricky Carmichael in motocross, is the, they call him the GOAT, the greatest of all times. Uh, Jeremy McGrath, another motocross guy. Uh, Travis Pastrana later, you know, he's a good friend of mine. And, and uh, just seeing how he, how he kind of goes about, you know, being this amazing athlete and yet being one of the nicest guys on earth. Like, it's just... It was such a such an inspiration to see that, be around him, and see how he operates and his mindset. His mindset is so amazing to me because he he looks at stuff like most people look at Travis Pastrana and, and um, think he's the craziest man on earth. And if you don't know Travis, he's like multi-time X Games medalist, the first to do a double backflip on a dirt bike. Uh, you know, he's Supercross champion, motocross champion. He's like amazing at what he does and. But when I've been around Travis, what he does is he looks at things not in not in the manner of like what could go wrong. He looks at like, man, wouldn't that be awesome if it went right? And and that's what like drives him to do it. And that's what I think when you break that when you kind of dig a little bit deeper into that message, that's where I think a lot of people in the world go wrong, is they're so concerned with what could go wrong that they don't even spend the time to look at what could go right and you know there if you have that as your fuel if you say hey if i look at the positives and what could go right be aware of the negatives be aware of what could go wrong plan to you know not have that happen but have my focus my driving force being going to uh you know going for the success of it you know, I think that's what could lead a lot of people to uh, to the success they want or the the change in their life that they're looking to uh, looking to have. You know, the different things like that. So, have you read The Rise of Superman? I have not. I'm writing it down, though. <laughs> Do you know about it? No, no. Oh, it's you're kidding! You have to run out and get The Rise of Superman. It talks about how it's a it's a outstanding book about how action sports athletes are at the forefront of teaching us about human performance. In essence, it talks about how action sports athletes have more than any other field, science, art, 
business, you name it, how they have pushed the boundaries of human performance when as short as 10, 15 years ago, they would have never thought literally possible. And whether it's um, Travis Pastrana, um, whether it's you doing the double back flip, which is absolutely insane, those things were not possible until you guys saw your peers doing it and then realizing, well, I can do that as well. Or, you know, surfing Mavericks or any of that. But it's, it's, it's an amazing, amazing book. What do you think is the common thread among the elite action sports athletes such as yourself? What is that driving force? The driving force among the elite, I, I think it's just a, I think it's the guy that is willing to make the sacrifices to do something that no one else has done. And for me, it, I always, I kind of, like I've, we've been able to do some really neat things. Like I mentioned, the the double flip and the distance jump and these different tricks and all this stuff. But I think what what uh, the action sports guy looks at is is they're they're a pretty creative group of people, and you know they're always kind of like looking at things like how can I come up with a new trick? How can I come up with a different idea? How can I, you know, kind of think of these different uh, different things? And that's that's been um, one of one of my strong points is I've I'm like constantly thinking about these different ideas and and being inspired by different different uh, athletes and and things that you see and it just like triggers you like wouldn't that be amazing to to do this you know like for instance the urban snowmobiling video we did this past winter you know it's I made St Paul uh, a snowmobile playground and you know that was inspired by what uh, Ken Block did with Jim Connor with his rally car burning around the streets of San Francisco and these different areas. And I said, man, you could do that on a snowmobile and you could take that to a, a new level where you're jumping off buildings and bridges and all these different things. And, you know, so that's, that's where, uh, that's where that stuff came from. But I think for action sports athletes, I think what, what the common thing is, is they're, they're wanted to show people like what they're capable of. This is what I'm capable of. And I think um, part of it is, you know, maybe there are some of them were outcast to a certain extent growing up, um, you know, like, oh, you're the that skateboard kid or whatever. And you kind of build that, you kind of build up that mentality of, you know, you, you know, doubt me and then um, watch me, watch me do it, you know, and, and, that's kind of like, like I said early on, is everyone kind of doubted that I'd be able to do this. And, and I was like determined to show them that I could, you know, it just fueled that fire even more. And I think that could be part of the common thread in, in action sports is it's like, watch me do this. You guys thought I was, I was just a, you know, just a kid that skateboarded. But now look, I mean, think of the Tony Hawks, think of the um, Nigel Houston, like these guys are, are millionaires from riding skateboards and that's uh you know i imagine they probably got some heat early on saying man get a job do something it's like hey i'm following my following my passion following my love and i'm going to show you that i that i can do this what do you think is your number one strength my number one strength is overcoming overcoming fear is what i would say uh, one of the, one of the hurdles, and I've 
I was aware of this early on in my career was was how big of role fear plays in people's decisions and people's actions, how they do things. And a lot of times it's not like it's not a fear of getting hurt or anything like that. It's it's a fear of failure. And that is what really holds a lot of people back. And in snowmobile racing, like this is something that that um something that I've really I've really kind of dug into and in trying to help our help riders and whatnot. It is typical typically the rider that, you know, makes it that's successful up and makes it to like say the pro class we'll say. So it goes sport, uh, pro light, pro open, and pro open being the best. So when you're a sport rider, all you're doing is riding snowmobile because you love it and you're you're not worried about anything. You just love riding and all that riding is you know you're ultimately learning the skill you're getting better at it you start winning races everything's great then all of a sudden you start getting sponsors you start getting uh, more attention you start putting more pressure on yourself you you feel pressure from sponsors these different things and then that's when the fear of failing starts coming in and when once that happens it literally I've watched riders go from from having successful successful seasons of winning races getting on the podium doing these things to all like not riding not practicing almost like so depressed that you're like worried about their their mental stability and and they just and they end up getting out of racing altogether and a lot of times that happens from injury a lot of times it happens from from you know you have a couple of bad races but they literally they fear failing so much that instead of going like they'll go out and race they'll go on the track but they'll give like 50% effort and in their mind what they're telling themselves is like I didn't give it all so it's not like I failed you know like they don't feel like I did everything I laid everything on the line and I got beat you know they they look at it as like well you know I I put in about 50% effort and you know I got 10th you know but I I didn't fail. It's how they're kind of justifying their lack of results and stuff. And they can, they'll continue doing that. And the hardest thing is, the hardest thing for a person is to go out, give it 100%, do everything you can at that time to, to succeed and then have, have failure or have, uh, have things not go to plan because it's, it's demoralizing and, that's where it's it's really hard to overcome that. But if you're able to go, hey, I did everything I could to get there, and it didn't work this time. But how can I come back and put, you know, how can I learn from that? How can I learn from my mistakes? How can I learn on from what I need to do to to get better? And I'm gonna come up with a plan, and I'm gonna execute that. And I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna come back swinging. And if that doesn't work, I'm gonna come back and and figure out a new plan and just keep attacking it that way. That's how you can uh, you can continually have success. You did a lot of amazing things. Your list of accomplishments is amazing. What was the scariest situation you've been in, and how did you deal with it? Did you execute, or in your scariest situation, did you hold back and wait for another day? <laughs> My scariest day, scariest time is was the double backflip, hundred percent. My the double, well, that was, I, I guess I don't want to say the scariest, whatever. The distance jump was scary too. But the, the double backflip, that was the first time in my life where I 
fully committed to something and like a hundred percent, like I knew, like I had, I knew in my head, like I knew the consequences. I knew that if I didn't do this right, that it could literally be my last day. And I, cause I, I knew how big the trick was. I knew how high I was going. I mean, I was going 60 feet above the ground, you know, can you imagine jumping off a six story building and, and landed on the ground. So I knew that there were serious consequences. And um, I just kept going back to the practice, the things that we did to prepare. And I, I just kept going back to that saying, you've done everything you can to make this work. Believe in that, trust in your ability, and focus on focus on the, the technique, focus on the things that you need to do right now 100% so that you can execute that trick. And at X Games, I went out there and I just, you know, I had made up my mind prior to even getting there that I was going for it no matter what, you know, that, and and I went there and, and when I went for the double flip, I just remember I'm like, hit the thing hard, pull hard, tuck and fully commit. And, um, you know, I was able to rotate both both flips and unfortunately I overshot the landing and landed real low and it ended up bouncing me off. But, uh, you know, I achieved the, the goal of showing the world that a double flip on a snowmobile was possible. And that, um, but that, that moment, uh, was, was extremely scary because that was the first time in my life where I, I literally laid everything on the line and said, if this, uh, you know, I want this that bad that I'm willing to make this kind of sacrifice. And that's, that's a different, uh, different feeling. Was that, I want to get sort of a scale on this. So you have the world record longest snowmobile jump. Um, but the double backflip, was that twice as scary? (laughs) I, (laughs) I I don't want to say twice as scary. Maybe it was because I was new to scary, <laughs> if if that makes sense. You know, I had only been doing freestyle for a year, and the second year I tried double backflip. So maybe my my scary tolerance wasn't as as high. By the time I did the distance jump, I had I had been doing freestyle for a few years and and pushing on that pretty hard. And when I got to the distance jump. I, I thought of it as like, well, it's a pretty simple concept. Hit a ramp as fast as you can and fly as far as possible. And, you know, if you – I kind of had it simplified so I didn't overthink that. Um, and then I thought, okay, that's not a big deal. So the first year, I would say, yeah, the double flip was, you know, at least one and a half times scarier than the distance jump. But then after – I crashed at 105 mile an hour doing a 360 plus foot jump and, you know, spent a week in the hospital and, and, you know, was fortunate to come out of that alive. Um, then all of a sudden the distance jump became a lot scarier. (laughs) So the second year, the distance jump was every bit as scary as the uh, double flip the the difference was the distance jump in practice i had to do you know numerous jumps that were 300 plus feet so it was like doing the double flip 
time and time and time and time again. And there wasn't a time that it got any any easier or any less scary. How do you prepare a snowmobile to do that kind of distance? Because I've seen those jumps of you doing that online over and over again. And it's so well balanced through the air that it's astonishing to me. We we had to do a bit of wind tunnel testing. We actually took a sled to a wind tunnel um, in in um, where did we go? We went to Virginia and did some wind tunnel testing, and that helped a tremendous amount. You know, one of the biggest things with the snowmobile is they're they're extremely fast. Like they'll go well over 100 mile an hour. Uh, the issue is it's like flying a refrigerator through the air. It's 450 pounds uh, dry, more like 500, you know, by the time you get fuel and everything in it. So you've got a 500-pound machine flying through the air, and it's kind of like big and flat. So it's like a it's like a sheet of plywood flying through the air or, or a kite, let's say. So if you get – if you're flying through the air at 100 mile an hour, uh, the wind – is extremely extremely high so if you get the front end too high the bottom of the snowmobile is so wide and there's such so much surface area that the wind catches it and it'll literally just flip you right up right right up so i mean you'll like literally land you know almost upside down flipping over backwards so that was one of our biggest concerns so we did a lot of wind tunnel testing and figured out uh, a few different things we ended up building a nose cone so that it would deflect the wind around uh, around a kind of a, a flat spot on the uh, on the body panels, and after doing that, we we went out and started testing. And and you know, one time I tried jumping, and um, you know, much like a jumping a BMX bike, you're trying to get higher. You know, you bunny hop it, so you bring the front end up, and then you kind of pull the back end up. And I tried doing that at probably 250 feet, and the sled like. It went almost straight up and down, and I, I like instantly grabbed the brake to bring the front end down, and I was able to land that. But I realized, like, wow, those wind speeds—you don't mess around with with anything. You just try to keep uh, the nose cutting through the the wind uh, at the same arc of the jump. Otherwise, it's bad news. When you went to the X Games and did the double back flip, and when you went for the world record jump a couple of times, and obviously you are the world record holder now does an athlete like you in those situations do you because of all the hype that gets associated with it leading up to the event how dangerous is that just generically speaking do you feel like you have the control to step out of it at any time what is that like because i've seen other guys like robbie madison you know tony hawk but the guys on the motor propelled vehicles, it's much, much more dangerous. What is that like going into the event when you're sort of committed? Going into an event where, you know, you kind of have that, that feeling of like, you know, I, I have to do this. Uh, the biggest thing, the biggest thing I've, I've learned, and, I, and I, I'm fortunate for this, was it, it come from my racing background, is if you have something like that, go in and make sure you're prepared make sure you've done everything possible to to prepare for it with the jump with the machine i mean look at every variable everything that could go wrong figure out how you'll overcome that 
what you'll do in those different situations. And that's what gave me, you know, the peace of mind to do some of these things. And that's, you know, the, the big part about that too is, is, you know, I, I always joke with people about the distance jump. They so they say, man, that was amazing what you did. And I kind of chuckle and I say, you know, I was a small part of that distance jump. You know, the people that, that made that possible, that built the ramp, that had the landing, the, the running, that did the engine, you know, to make a snowmobile run 111 mile an hour and take an impact from a 400 plus foot jump. You know, that's pretty, pretty amazing. And, you know, for me, I always, I joke with them and I say, this is, you know, I was the, I was the easy part. You just needed to find a knucklehead that would hold the throttle wide open. That was, <laughs> that's the easy part, making all that other, other stuff happen. That's what's hard. So that's part of the thing that, um, you know, with the, the motorsports, when you're going in and you, you have the pressure of feeling like you have to do this and whatnot. If you got to do something scary, make sure that you're prepared for it. Make sure you've checked everything out and you've dotted every I and crossed every T. Um, otherwise, you know, you're setting yourself up for a bad situation. Mm -hmm. And obviously in your sport, there are mistakes that happen all the time. We're talking on this podcast with entrepreneurs or budding entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs. And they obviously make mistakes from time to time, and that often holds them back. Do you have any advice for them on how to recover from mistakes? The biggest thing with mistakes is people look at them like like it's the end of end of the world, and it is. It's really hard, and I struggle with it. I mean, most people do struggle with mistakes and with failure and whatnot. But the thing that I've learned from my from my career of racing and and these tricks and these jumps and all these different things is when mistakes happen learn from them look at why they happened look at how you can how you can fix them how you can remedy them and 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 execute you know one of the things i always tell the riders i say the first thing you have to do is you have to be aware of the problem what is the problem what why did it happen how is it how is this coming about understand the problem and then come up with a plan to how, how you're going to fix it and then execute. It's simple three step. There's not much to it. And do that. If there, you know, if you're not able to overcome it at the first try, adjust the plan, go back and start executing, try to try to figure that out. So that's one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest things with entrepreneurs as they go into this thing, there's a lot of you're you're nervous you know you've you may have a lot of money invested or you plan to invest a lot of money or you plan on you know kind of running yourself uh, pretty thin on on whatnot just make sure that you've done the work that you've looked into the business you've looked into how it's going to work you've got it kind of laid out so that you kind of know you kind of have a plan how it's going to run how it's going to operate how you're going to do things before you go in and jump into it and if you can if you can do that and have a good solid plan before you start it's going to you're not going to have to you won't be chasing your tail as much once you get into it and um and then you know like anything if um if it's it, you know if it were easy everyone would be doing it you know if you're an entrepreneur you're the person that's trying to go out and do something that others aren't you're going to try to start a business you're going to try to 
uh, do something that you know these other people aren't willing to do. So it's going to take hard work. It's going to take sacrifice, but it'll be totally worth it once you get to uh, once it becomes successful. And then that's uh, that's the vision you have to keep in your head. Is I always think about that end goal, where where you're heading, how you're going to get there, and uh, just keep keep digging. So Levi, we talked a little bit earlier about strengths, your strength as a, an elite athlete. Flipping the, the coin a little bit, what do you think is your number one weakness and how do you deal with that? Oh, my number one weakness, I, I've, re, I've realized here in the last probably year, probably two years, is um, I, I don't remember who, I don't remember who's, who uh, phrased it, but it was a uh, perfectionist procrastination or something <laughs> so my issue is I really I, I like things done a certain way I like them you know I like to be organized I like to do these different things and and I've realized as I've gone into the team and into business um, you know when you start dealing with other people it's hard to um, you know sometimes you're gonna have you're gonna have conflict with how things are done so you know, at first I kind of looked at things as like, well, I need to, you know, I need them to do it this way. And the problem was, is I wasn't showing them how. I wasn't showing them how to do it. I wasn't showing them what I, how I wanted it done, different things like that. So after I realized that it's my fault that they're not doing things right, um, you know, that's where things started getting better. So, but what happened prior to that was it was the classic uh, E-Myth Revisited line where it's like, I was working, uh, I was working in the business instead of on the business, and um, that's that's what really struggled. So I had the mindset of like, okay, I'll do it myself because then I know it's done to the standard that I want. And um, what happened with that is, you know, back to the the procrastination is it was like I just stack up so much stuff that I had to do that I, I, you know, would procrastinate and, and not, not get it done. So now I'm starting to realize like the, uh, <laughs> the powers of, uh, delegation, how much that helps you achieve things and not just saying, Hey, do this, do that. But if you invest the time to show them like, this is how, you know, how I, I would like this done and how, and the reason why I would like it done this way because it's going to save us time in the long run. Um, and, you know, the more time you invest in people and teaching them how to do it, uh, the better the result. And, you know, being a new parent a couple of years ago, having our daughter live and we just had a little boy lab in here four months ago, uh, I'm realizing that, you know, I'm glad that I learned that lesson uh, with with our employees and whatnot, because that's what parenthood is too. It's you, you have to invest the time to teach, teach the children how to do things, why to do that. And nowadays, if you don't, you know, you end up having the internet or the cell phone or the TV and whatnot, teaching, teaching your kids how to do things. And that's uh that's kind of a scary thing to think about. So, our goal with our children too is to, you know, to be involved and let them, you know, teach them how to do it and not to be scared to try things, uh, because you know, oftentimes that failure is when you learn, uh, learn things. So that's 
it's been a, a, bi- a big lesson that, that I've learned, and hopefully we can continue to, to move forward in that manner. Throughout this interview, you're talking about the team that you have. And I think a lot of people, when they just see you racing or competing in the X Games or what have you, they think of just an individual athlete. But bring us into your world a little bit about the broader picture with your team and your role within the team. What is the, What does that organization do? What's the mission? What business are you in and what is your role in it? Yeah, so our our business is, it's kind of a, (laughs) we kind of have like multiple different businesses, but it's, you know, all revolving around the same thing. But the the main thing is is snowmobile. And so like uh, one business is Levi LaValley as a whole. That's our, that's our brand. That's what kind of started it. And uh, for me, it's, you know, I do projects uh like urban snowmobiling um x games doing different x games events different things like that we do kind of you know at this point in my career i'm able to do these different projects that are really really like kind of different uh grew up racing and did that forever and kind of grew the brand in that manner uh but then in 2009 we we started um a professional snowmobile race team and uh, the funny thing is it was like at the peak of my racing career like i had just won a snowcross championship i just did the double backflip and i said man i i had so much confidence i'm like gosh i can i can do anything you know so i'm like let's start a race team so i started a race team with the 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 goal of trying to um trying to be trying to stay involved in snowmobiling far past my career of racing you know, I really love the sport. I love, uh, I love everything about the racing scene. And I'm like, you know, I know that there's a limited window that I'll be able to do this, but I want to continue on far past that. So that was like the original goal. And as I get into it, um, you know, now it's more, I, I think more and more about how can I help people with the things that I've learned, you know, over these years. So that's kind of like our next, our next uh, kind of venture is going to be you know, thinking about how we can transition um, into kind of a coaching role, helping riders, helping helping people uh, with not only like the riding side of it, but the business side of operating a team. You know, how do you deal with sponsors? How do you attract sponsors? These different uh, different things like that. So that's something that we're we're kind of looking looking a little deeper into as we move forward. Um, but so we have the race team. We've been doing that for since 2009. Uh, we have a, a merchandise line where we sell clothing and gear and different things uh, going to, online and at all the events. And um, another thing that that we, uh, we we started doing here in the last few years is I started doing some some speaking, some motivational speaking, different things like that. And and it's been uh, I kind of chuckled because I was. I did a I did a couple a couple keynotes for uh, Coloplast, which is a a medical company that sells catheters and ostomies and different things like that. And and it was like kind of a it it, it just struck me weird because I'm like, man, I'm I'm like you know I'm a snowmobile racer and you know I'm in these uh, I was at like a you know a corporate marketing meeting or whatever and I'm talking about this stuff, but. But the whole point of it was 
you know what we what what we've been able to do is snowmobiling with my career overcoming the fear like you mentioned you know with the action sport thing is is you you are constantly overcoming fear you're constantly having to having to control those self doubt um that self doubt talk that's constantly there you know you have to be able to control that stuff and say hey you can do this you know how to do this and if you don't do this you're going to pay the ultimate price and that's where you know that's what is the motivator to figure these things out for action sports guys is we know that the the sacrifice is is huge if you don't execute properly so you make sure that you're prepared for it and you figure out how to do that in extremely stressful conditions like big events like x games like you know, Rebel New Year No Limits, doing the distance jump live on ESPN in front of millions of people. You learn how to do that stuff. And that's where now I'm able to go and talk to these people and tell them, this is how, this is, this is how I acquired these, these skills. This is how I worked on them. And this is how, um, how they've paid off. I've been able to do things that no one on earth has ever done in history. I was the first person to jump over 400 feet on a snowmobile. And with a combination of an outstanding crew of people, get the, having the right the right ingredients for it all, working our tails off, and you know overcoming those setbacks and all those failures that we've had, has allowed us to be able to do things um, that that previously were impossible. What is involved with a world record jump like that? How big of a project is that? It's got to be huge. <laughs> it is it is huge you know when you think about it it it's something that somebody else no there's that has it's something that has never been done before and that's where uh you know there's a reason no one has done it because it's either extremely scary extremely difficult i mean the the different variables are endless but with the world record jump i mean it was a multi-million dollar project you know and and setting everything up, making sure it was perfect and testing it. Uh, I mean, it was, it was crazy to be involved in something like that. And, you know, I was very fortunate to have, uh, you know, a good partner of mine, Red Bull been with me for years and years and, and, uh, they were so supportive and they did anything and everything to make, uh, make that project work. Was it and, your idea? Yeah. The first thing, uh, so the, it's funny how it works. So you, once you start getting a little confidence, it, well, for me anyway, once I get a little confidence, then all of a sudden, you know, the moon is, is not out of the question, you know, I'm ready to go. So I, uh, you know, I did the distant or I did the double backflip. I went to X games and freestyle next year, won some, won some more medals. Uh, and I, I was just, you know, I, I literally, Right after the double flip, I'm like, I could do a distance jump. I remember telling him, I was talking to my athlete manager, and I said, if there's ever an opportunity, I would totally be into doing a distance jump. I'm like, I've never done anything like that before, but I know I could. I know I could figure it out. And, uh, you know, a little time went by, and they said, they called me, and they said, hey, you uh, you still interested in doing a distance jump? And I said, absolutely. I'd absolutely do a distance jump. And he's like, well, what do you think about doing it in, in San Diego? And I kind of laughed and I said, well, last I checked, 
there's not a lot of snow in San Diego. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah, I know. And, and I'm like, I think we can make it work, though. You know, for freestyle, we use AstroTurf for our run-in. I think we could AstroTurf it, and we should be good to go. So that kind of started the, started the ball rolling, and then it went into, like, okay, what do we – what do we need for a sled? We're going to need to achieve, you know, some over 100 mile an hour speeds. How can we do that with full suspension? How can we have a sled that will hold up to that impact? Um, you know, what are these different things that we're going to have to overcome? And then we started working on them, checking them off, bam, 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 figuring them out, figured out a, a test site, where to practice, how we were going to practice, you know, had all of uh, all those things kind of situated. And I mean, it was. The, the thing that you you have to look at too on the safety side of it is so huge because you have to you have to not only like think about the rider's safety but you have to think about if you know if you are let's say i i took off and people were on the other side of the landing and they're they're measuring or they're getting something something done on the other side of the landing i can't see them so here i come at 100 plus mile an hour and there's a guy on the landing I mean that's that would be a bad deal. So you have to have protocols like, all right, you know, landing guy radios to takeoff guy who you know signals to me anytime now, and and you know you can leave at any time now. And I mean there is a lot of lot of different procedures, a lot of different protocols, safety protocols. You know that was another one that unfortunately we had to use the first year of practice was the safety protocol. And um, you know obviously they don't they don't tell me this stuff because they don't want it to be creeping in my in my head as I'm trying these things. But one of the things they did was they took my they took my dad and and uh, my best friend who was out at the event and they said okay here's safety protocol is if there is an accident we have to make sure that you know Kristen Levi's wife doesn't run out and doesn't you know start touching him moving him around because we don't know if what will be broken and we don't want to cause any further damage um and unfortunately that's what happened is i i had a sled malfunction in the air and uh the you know like i said it was a 105 mile an hour 360 foot endo so i had to jump practice yeah it was a practice jump and i i had to jump off and I landed on my on my side, and I busted I busted the majority of my ribs, um, like almost all my ribs. I collapsed both my lungs, fractured my pelvis, fractured three vertebrae. Um, obviously, knocked myself out, had a major concussion, and um, and I don't remember three days of my life. I don't remember, I don't even remember hitting the jump, fortunately. Um, but I, I'd land and my body, when I jumped off, I kind of landed on my side and I skipped over a hundred feet through the air and before touching down a second time. And then I flipped and rolled and eventually rolled to a stop. And I did all this in front of my dad, my best friend and my wife who were sitting in a, in a Polaris uh, razor right off to the side of the landing and my wife instantly took off running towards me and and you know they had to uh, intersect her and grab her and you know and I'm laying there and, and she's she's you know she's thinking she just watched me watched me die you know and and it was uh, it was a pretty pretty scary time for all the people that were involved in that 
they they all you know everything was going so well and then to have it tragically end like that and to know that that to have me make that make it through that how big a deal that was i mean we know we've all heard of different accidents that have happened in all situations that have ended far worse and you know when you're you know to see a guy jump off a snowmobile at 105 mile an hour after jumping 360 feet and bounce and roll and skip and the sled cartwheeling 200 feet through the air you go wow god was uh god was on our side that day he um he definitely protected me there and that's what i that's what i went back to as i looked at it and i said you know what there's a reason there's a reason i'm still here um because i i shouldn't be after that and uh and a lot of people question why i went back that next year and did that same thing again why did would you go back after nearly nearly losing your life why would you come back and do that same thing and uh how I looked at it was I looked at it like I knew that we were capable of doing that. I knew we were capable of breaking the record. I knew that we could do it. We just had a we had a malfunction. Something went wrong. There was a little adversity. But I knew that we could figure out how to fix that, how to remedy that. And and then I knew that we could show the world that we could do amazing things. So we came back the next year with a better plan, with a better engine to eliminate the problem that we had. And we went out there and we not only achieved that world record on a snowmobile and were able to safely do that jump, but we were the first people in history to jump anything over 400 feet. And, uh, you know, that, that was a cool thing for me to come back from that adversity and overcome that fear, overcome all that self-doubt, overcome all these things. And everybody that was in that group from that first crash to go on that second year and overcome all that stuff. You know, one of the hurdles, my mechanic, uh, Glenn, you know, Glenn, he felt solely responsible for it. He's the one that's tuning the sled and the sled cuts out and dies. And he, he was, you know, it hit him hard. And, um, you know, when I came back the second year, you know, I'd said, well, let's do a few injected. And, you know, he was a little skeptical and he moved forward with it. And after we did it, I remember him coming up to me on the landing and hugging me. And he said, that's the last time we're doing this, right? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I think we're, we're pretty good on distance jumping for now. But, but I mean, for that whole group, for all that we went through in those two years, um, to be able to do something that had never been done before and to show the world something that they'd never seen before, that was a, that was a special thing for me. And, and um, you know, it's, it's something that is definitely a huge highlight of my life. Levi, what, what is it like before you do the double backflip or the distance jump? What is that like when you are talking with your family and friends before that? Before going for the double backflip, the the distance jump, these things that are high risk, it's you, you just you know I'm 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 really fortunate to have family and and uh, and friends that that believe in me. 
you know, they really believe, they believe in, in what I'm capable of. They believe in, in my judgment and they believe in the work that I've put in that, that will, that will have a good result from this. And, you know, the distance jump was a hard one because, you know, that went wrong and, you know, I'm fortunate to make it through that and to go back to my mom and my wife and my dad and my friends and say like, yeah, we're going to do it again. You know, only months after, after the crash, it was, it was, uh, it was tough for them to understand why. And, you know, but they, they didn't question it. They just were, they were more nervous about it. And I just, I knew inside a hundred percent. I, I told them, I said, I know we can do this. I know we can do it. If we get a, a fuel injected engine, which will solve the problem we had, I know we can do this and we can show people this. And, you know, prior to going out and doing these tricks, I think they're, I don't want to say they have like peace of mind or that they're like, no, no problems, no worries. Uh, but they know that I don't go into something that big. I wouldn't do something like that without, without believing I could do it. And that's, that's what gives them a little bit of peace of mind going into it is they know that I've, I've put in the work that I, that I've done I studied it. I've understood it. I know what I'm going to do before I go do it, and I've I've went through it very thoroughly. And I think that's why they, you know, they understand it and they accept it more or less. And uh, you know, those talks beforehand, you know, my wife and I, we, um, you know, just before the distance jump, she had uh, probably ten minutes before the jump. That was the last time I got to talk to her, and then she had to take the boat across the um, across the San Diego, the the water there to the landing side. And um, you know, the biggest thing was she just uh, we just said a prayer and and um, you know said I'll see you on the other side. And that's what we did. We jumped over there, and you know I couldn't uh, I couldn't wait to uh, to hug her and and uh, just embrace her in that in that to end, to cap that, that, uh, that whole experience of distance jumping. When you land that jump, what is it like? <laughs> and when, when I landed the jump in San Diego, uh, you know, the, the first thing is I'm flying through the air, you know, you fly over 300 feet of water and, uh, you know, you're you're coming in. I, I remember I was coming in nice and straight, and they had lines painted out, and they painted in a separate color where 400 feet was. And I watched 400 feet go by, and I watched you know 410 feet go by, and I'm like, I'm like, wow, this is it's gonna be a big one. And but regardless of how big that was, my focus was still on making the landing just remember the remember the key elements the key things you have to do to do this successfully so i stayed focused on that and once i landed i i did everything i could not to just like jump right off the sled in excitement but then i realized that wow i have to stop there's a cement barricade at the, <laughs> at the end here that 
I'm going to run into. So I, I was on the on the binders trying to slow down. I, I kind of slid in and ended up jumping off the sled, and the sled ran right into ran into the tough blocks in front of the cement wall. And uh, I jumped up, and I mean, I, I ran wide open back to the landing. And, and the cool part about it was they had the whole landing area kind of barricaded off, and, and there's thousands of people on both sides screaming and yelling and and you know that that experience was just incredible incredible you know hearing the people and and the the screaming the yelling and the excitement and my family running towards me and and hugging and and whatnot and i mean it's like i was so so happy so happy it worked so grateful so thankful for every Everyone that that helped do that, everyone that helped put that together, and it was just a it, just an amazing an amazing time. What a relief! <laughs> that's exactly what it was, and that's the thing is like you know when I was practicing for the distance jump, you know it was it was weeks of practice, and we were testing it at Fontana Speedway and um, about an hour or two outside of L.A. and so we're testing there we're practicing but i remember every day i would wake up in the morning and i would i would think about it and i'd be like you know is this gonna, is this my last day you know because if things go wrong that's you know after the first year crash i'm like i would think about that and i would go whoa 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 like you got to change that thought process and it was so hard because those negative thoughts would keep popping in. And you just have to go back and say, I just kept going back to to my original thing. Is like, man, you've done everything to prepare. You have a perfect setup. You have the right sled. All the things are right. The only thing that's holding you back is you. Just go out and do what you know how to do, what you've prepared, what you've done your whole life. Just go do it. You know, you do that and you do that 100%, it's going to work. It's going to work. And and I just kept kept reiterating that, saying you you prepared, you've done jumps since you were four years old on four-wheelers. This is what you were here for, is you're here to do this. You're here to overcome. You're here to overcome the adversity. You're here to overcome that crash. You're here to show people that it's possible that you know whatever they're whatever they're struggling with is is nothing compared to what you're going to do on this sled when you overcome that near near fatal crash and come back and do it again and prove and do it bigger than anything that was like that's your purpose and that that's what I that's what I believe it is I think there's there's multiple times where it, I've been able to uh where I've, I've made it through situations and um and i think that's that's the thing is i think there is that's my purpose was to to inspire to show people to say hey if that little guy from a town of 150 people can do things that no one else on earth has ever done and and have a good attitude about it even after these crashes even after these injuries even after all this stuff What's holding me back? What's keeping me from going on and doing the things that I want, becoming the person that I want to be? And uh, that's kind of that's what I've, I've kind of realized in these last handful of years is that's that was my purpose is to try to to show people, to inspire them. 
How has becoming an elite athlete and your sort of entrepreneurial and personal journey through the course of all of this, how has that changed you as a person? It's changed me. It's changed me pretty, pretty significantly. Just the way that, you know, starting off, it was just, you know, seeing the hard work that my dad put in and, and the, you know, the all nighters he would do if he needed to in the shop to get things ready and these different things like that. You know, I, I saw the hard work, um, and, and that was instilled in me early. And as I got further along, I started realizing that sacrifice is, is the name of the game. You know, the things that, that I've sacrificed over the years to achieve the things that I've wanted to achieve. You know, it's, it's really easy to get caught up in, in, um, different things that, you know, are taking, taking you away from achieving your goals. You know, one of the, one of the, the biggest ones right now is, uh, you know, social media, like people can spend hours and hours on social media and it's just like mindless. You're just, you're just kind of, you know, I don't want to say wasting time, but for, for lack of a better word, you're wasting time. You know, So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I like social media and I, we, we do a good job posting and, and updating our stuff, but I try to, I try to minimize the amount of time spent on there because for every every minute that I'm spending on there, it's a minute that I'm not working towards my goal, and that um, you know that's that's the main one is I just want to keep keep working on trying to achieve your goals. Keep going back and saying, what am I doing today that's going to get me closer to the my, my goal that I have? And if you if I continue to uh, continue to do that and catch myself and get back on track. You know, that's what's led me to um, to be able to achieve some of the things that we've done. What have you learned most about yourself? Uh, I've, I've learned, I've learned that I've learned my flaws pretty uh, pretty well. I've learned my flaws, and I've learned uh, the the positives, you know, that I have. And and I know that one of the things is, um, you know, the the flaws. Like I'm excited that I've I'm like learning the different um, downfalls that I have because then you can work on them, and that's what's that's what's really cool is, and, and especially like I mentioned, I've been into these into audio books and in reading and self development and all these different things because you know people if you're struggling with something, somebody else has struggled with it before, and they've probably written a book about it, and you can instantly be brought up to speed. And I, and the reason that that hits home with me is because my racing career, my freestyle career, my, all these jumps is different things. I, I didn't have, I didn't have like a, a, a riding coach, a mentor. I didn't have anyone to like show me how to do it. So I, I had to learn everything the hard way. And that's why I've had, you know, the, the countless broken bones and torn ligaments and the concussions and the broken, you know, ribs and lungs and everything else that I've had. Um, I've had to learn it the hard way. And when I talk to my riders, I talk to them in that way of like, Hey, this is what I had to do to overcome this. And this is what you can do to avoid having to go, you know, get a cast put on your leg or to, 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 you know, try to help them 
overcome these different things without having to learn the hard way. And that's what like a book can do for you is like, you know, you go and you start listening to these different, uh, these different people. And, and I mean, even, even yourself, like learning from people that know that are, that are experts in these different areas. If you can have an expert tell you how to do something, how much better does it get? You know, if, if, if you wanted to learn how to jump, like, I could definitely teach you how to jump probably better than a carpenter would. You know what I mean? So you get you if anything you want to learn, anything that you want to do, start researching people that are good at it. Start researching, you know, what books could help and you just start you start gobbling those things up and instantly your things are changed. You know, your mindset, your your self-talk, everything is just, you know, you can kind of change change anything about you if you you know once you're aware of your problems but that's like that goes back to my my original thing is like first it's being aware of the problem so for me growing up it was like you you know you you don't realize some of the things that you struggle with until you start looking looking deep and at what you're doing how you're presenting yourself and then once I started doing that then I started making changes and realizing hey these are the things that I need to work on and these are, you know, then I started looking for books and I started looking for a different, different examples and just, you know, start, uh, start learning, see what works, what doesn't. And it's, um, so far it's been a, it's been a good process. Obviously I have a long ways to go, but I'm excited that I'm, I'm on this path is, is all I can say. Along the path historically, what has been your biggest joy? The biggest joy uh, for me, it's been funny because the biggest joy originally was the accomplishments, you know, to try try to to be able to do these different things, the, you know, the championship, the distance jump, the double flip, all these different things. I'm really like the joys is what I thought. But as I got, as I get deeper into this, the, the joy is for me is to it has been how much i've overcome how much i've over overcome and the adversity of these different things and you know i i tell people a lot uh i i keep i've kept like a lot of uh, i call them trophy sleds different sleds from snowmobiles from uh uh from different uh big jumps or times in my career and, uh, you know, I, I tell them that my biggest trophy is my crash sled from that distance jump. And I mean, it's mangled. It's like, it's absolutely destroyed. And I tell them, I'm like, that's my biggest trophy because I made it through that. This is what I tell people. And, and, uh, you know, that, that's what I like is like, I going back to the, you know the the common phrase of you know it's not how hard you fall it's it's how many times you get back up it's how you know i've i've fallen many times but it's how quick you get back up how quick you get back on the horse how quick you you get back to it and figuring out how do i how do i overcome this and that's been um that's been one of the one of the biggest joys for me is is like you know, knowing that I'm capable of overcoming, and um, and then to to go even further than that, it's being able to to help people 
with that. You know, it's I've I've found nothing but joy in helping our riders. Um, you know, try to achieve their goals and overcome those fears, overcome that adversity, overcome these different things and realizing like, hey, you might think that this is a big deal, but just focus more on how you overcome it. And then it's not that big of a deal. Like, because you're, a lot of things people think are much bigger than they really are. And it all that really matters or all that you really have to do is like, if you take that, that energy you're putting towards worry and and anxiety and these different things and put it towards how am i going to overcome this it um you'd be surprised how quick you can you can get through it what has been your biggest frustration my biggest frustration uh a lot of times is myself you know a lot of times it's yeah you know i'll um i've come from uh you know stubborn stubborn family and uh you know, I see that come out at times a lot more when I was younger, but I try to, um, I'm try, I try really hard now to overcome that and realize like it's, you know, you need to, you need to be flexible. You need to, um, you know, you need to think more about what's best for the overall, not, you know, not be worried about being right or wrong. It's like, what's going to work? What's going to make the operation better what's going to make the situation better not i was right you were wrong and that's you know that's something that that is um that i struggle a little bit with um i think the the other the other struggle was you know leadership lead, trying to there there was a big transition from you know being an athlete and just competing and and doing all that stuff and it's it's um it's a very selfish um selfish what would i say selfish sport selfish thing that you have to be when you're an athlete because you have to focus you know you are your business you know so you have to put everything into your training into your riding into everything you do is is focused around you and um it's easy to become very selfish and very self-centered on that um and that's that was something that I struggled with was to try to overcome that and understand like, you know, um, it's beyond that now with the team, with these people I'm working with. Yes, we all want to, we all want success and we want to win, you know, competing with me or with our riders or whatever. But I'm realizing that you have to be able to, to work with people. You have to have a, you have to have, value those relationships you have to care about those people if you care about them they're going to care about you and they're going to do they're going to do the things necessary to help you so that's that has been uh that was has been my struggle for for the first uh handful of years with the team and now i'm starting to understand that more and more and one of uh one of my my biggest mentors has been my uh my business partner in the race team glenn kafka he owns uh, Kafka Granite, which is a which is a huge um, crushed granite business, and he runs. He also does uh, uh, stump grinding and whatnot. He's got a very big business there, and what he does is uh, he's just got such a such a great attitude, and he's got endless endless uh, uh, adversity. There's, I mean crazy problems all the time there's always something you know he's got over 80 employees and 
you know, multi-million dollar businesses and whatnot. And I remember calling him the one day and I'm like, Glenn, and you know, I'm venting to him. I'm like, oh, this went wrong and this and this and I'm, I'm like complaining and kind of being negative. And he just said, he, he, I, I, uh, he just texted me a picture as we were on the phone and he texted to me and it was a, a front end loader, a new front end loader. So it's like, probably a hundred and fifty two hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment that is completely engulfed in flames and i looked at him like what is that and he's like that burnt up yesterday at the at the wood chipping thing and i'm like really and he's like yeah and then one of the truck drivers rolled um one of the dump trucks into the ditch and is in the hospital right now and i just said wow i i said thank you glenn for making me realize that I was complaining about nothing. You have much bigger issues right now and you're handling it way better. And he just kind of, he just kind of chuckled. And, and that's the thing is like, I, I have to catch myself from time to time and say, you know what, the problems you have and whatever it may be, someone's had it worse and someone's overcame it. So, you know, suck it up and start, uh, start working towards the finding a solution. In the next five years, what do you think is next for you? We're going to continue on with the with the race team. The race team has been a, a really fun business, and uh, you know it, it it's it's pretty good. It, you know it works out well for me. We're going to continue with the race team. We're going to continue pursuing um, you know pursuing a coaching type business. Uh, we also are doing, you know, as I mentioned, we're doing different speaking things, which is fun, different motivational speaking and things like that. Uh, we also have, you know, I've made some, some different investments in things. So there's kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of fun. It's, it'll be, a it'll be a, a different world once I stop competing, but I've, I've kind of set myself up with these other, other, um, other businesses, other things, so that I can continue on, one, staying in the sport that I love of snowmobiling, and uh, two, be able to continue, you know, doing the things that I love. So that's uh, that's our goal moving forward, and, and uh, you know, I look forward to, I look forward to seeing how everything turns out. What do you hope to be your legacy? I hope that my legacy is, I hope that people remember me they they know me because of the the jumps and these different things over the years uh but i hope they remember me for the person that i was the things that I, or the person that i am i hope they remember like that you don't have uh you don't have to have the best of everything you don't have to come from the biggest place you don't have to come from an ideal situation to to achieve the things you want and you know i'm I'm my dream as a kid was to become a professional snowmobile racer. And I I became a professional snowmobile racer in 2003 and when I was 20 years old and I don't know if that's because maybe my goals weren't big enough or whatever you want to say, but I I'm like that's that's my dream was to be able to become a professional snowmobile racer. So I achieved that. Then it was like I want to become I want to win a race. So, you know, after Three years of injuries, I went on to win win my first race, and then after that, I said I want to win a championship. Three more years, more injuries, won a championship, and um, and then I just kept looking for, you know, I just, it kept building confidence, saying, man, 
if I want something bad enough and I put the work in, I put the time in, understanding it, how to do it, I can do anything. And, uh, and that led me to double backflips, distance jumps, the race team, speaking, all these different things. And that's what I, you know, the message that I want to give to people is, is you don't have to, you don't have to have everything. You don't have to have the ideal situation to achieve the things you want. All you have to have is the heart and the, the willingness to do whatever it takes. And, you know, some people are going to have an easier road. Um, it may have a, what looks like an easier road to get there, but if they don't have the heart, they won't get there. And that goes back to uh, something my dad told me when we first started racing. You know, when we first started racing, he, he told me, uh, you know, I remember we competed against this one uh, this one individual and you know he he always had always had like a new trailer that you know a new he had a mechanic he had all these different things and at the time it was just my my dad and I and we're in a small little trailer and and you know scratching by you know gathering up everything we could just to try to get to the races and and make this work and I remember looking at the one guy and they came with a brand new NASCAR hauler brand new semi the guy had his own personal mechanic you know, all these different things. And I said, Dad, how am I going to compete against that? And he said, you know what? He's like, the whole thing is having all that stuff doesn't make him want to win. He says, when you beat him, it's going to mean that much more to you. And the funny thing is that that uh, that individual, we raced all through junior, from junior classes all the way up to the pro class. And, um, you know, he ended up getting out of racing after a couple of years and we were able to continue on and have a, a successful career. And, and I look back on that and go, man, you know, I'm, I'm almost grateful that I didn't have everything because it, it made me, it made me figure out how to get there. It made me, it gave me the grit. It gave me the desire. It gave me the drive to, to want it even more. And, um, you know, I, I'm thankful for that. In closing, Levi, is there a question that I did not ask that you would have hoped that I had asked? Or is there some message or closing piece of advice you'd like to offer our sort of aspiring entrepreneurs that are listening? You know, I touched on it earlier, but I think the main the main thing is is don't fear failure. You know, I mean the the fear of failure is is what stops amazing ideas it's what stops success from happening is because you're more concerned with failing than succeeding so if you instead of fearing failure if you fear trying to succeed you know like that's you you, you gotta have no you, you can't have fear of of feeling be it be afraid to not try to pursue it you know, and that's what th that ends up happening. A lot of people is they're they're so scared to fail that they don't even try to succeed. And it's like just go out and try. You know, and and I don't want people to think that you just you know mindlessly go about it like, hey, I want to be a I want to be a boxer, or I want to you know I want to have a huge business or whatever, and you just go into it blind and hope it works. It's like do the research, put in the time, study it understand why and how it's going to work and then start pursuing it and that uh you know if you can do that and you can and you can do it without 
that fear of failure and be aware of what could go wrong but not scared of it, that's, um, that's what will lead you to success. Levi, you've been an amazing guest offering killer insights and stories to our aspiring entrepreneur listeners. Congratulations on your success for your entrepreneurial and professional courage, and thank you for sharing your experiences with us today. Thank you. It was a, it was a pleasure, pleasure speaking with you guys. Well, you've just listened to another episode of Product Launch Rebel featuring John Benzik of Venture Superfly. To download episodes of previous shows or for other entrepreneur-related resources, visit VentureSuperfly.com. Be sure to like Venture Superfly on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to Product Launch Rebel in iTunes. Join us for our next Product Launch Rebel episode, where we'll continue to reveal insider tips on how to launch and grow your physical product-based business. 